0: Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Norman Horn, president of the Institute, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Carrie Baldwin. We're going to be talking about faith seeking freedom yet again this evening. So, Carrie, welcome to the show again.
1: Thanks, Norm, for having me.
0: Yeah, it's always awesome to be with you and to discuss all sorts of aspects of liberty with you, Carrie. In this particular case, we want to talk about chapter 11 in Faith Seeking Freedom. And this whole podcast series, we're giving our listeners kind of an inside look into what's going on in our heads and kind of author's notes or commentary, however you want to put it. And it's just a better way of getting a little more out Of the chapter for each and every one of you. Chapter 11 is on abortion. And Carrie, you're kind of our resident expert on this topic in a lot of different respects. And, you know, you've done so much great research and have published a lot on your website, mereliberty.com. And I guess the first thing we want to start off with is if there's one thing we want people to get out of this chapter as they're reading through it, what might that be?
1: Well, I think, you know, the one takeaway is that There's number one, a pro life libertarian view. And I would even argue that the libertarian view on abortion is pro life. But more importantly, it is a very distinct strategy from what the conservative or what I call the conventional debate does. So if you're somebody who has sort of slipped into the gray area, you know, you might be one of those who are saying, I'm pro life, but I understand the complicated nature of this, or, you know, I'm just sick and tired of Republicans making promises and failing to keep them, then this is the thing that you might be interested in paying attention to. I usually get great comments from both sides, really, whether pro-choice or pro-life in that sort of gray area, that middle ground area, just lots of really good feedback about how this is a different approach it's a much more compassionate approach, but it doesn't equivocate, right? It's not making compromises. It's seeking a better way.
0: right. and I, that's a, an interestingly appealing thing, I think, to a lot of conservatives who are pro-life, especially, mm-hmm. who come to an understanding of libertarianism and see the uncompromising nature of you know the pro-life libertarian argument that flows out of the non-aggression principle but they still sometimes don't have a great strategy for it. Right. So I think we'll we'll get into that a little bit here in a moment. But perhaps we should outline first, what exactly does it mean to be a pro-life libertarian? And how does the non-aggression principle flow into that? Because it's perhaps a little confusing for some people.
1: Yeah. Well, and I also think it's helpful to point out there are many libertarians who are not pro-life, and they would say that the libertarian position is a pro-choice position, or at least and i think that the libertarian party platform is pretty or attempts to be neutral of course that's not achieved i don't think but
0: <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit i actually i have another comment on that that i think you'll find interesting perhaps <laughs>
1: yeah so the libertarian party platform just says hey this is a really touchy issue and there's and personal <laughs> and very yeah very personal issue and there's people on both sides who hold a good faith belief in in their view, mm-hmm. but we're not going to really say one way or the other what you should think about abortion. And of course, the conventional pro-life argument against that is, well, if you're neutral, then you're in favor of it, right? In fact, I don't know if you saw about a week ago, I think, Freedom Tunes put out a little animated video like, showing a visual representation of how bad that neutrality (laughs) argument is. It was really funny. So they have five characters. So they have one character who is stabbing no blood, but, you know, continually stabbing a person over and over and over. And somebody (laughs) comes up and is like, oh, I really don't like that, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it because I take a neutral position. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then somebody else comes up, and they're like, "Oh, what? that's terrible. Why would you do that to somebody, but I'm not going to intervene because that's not my place. Anyways, it was just
0: that's a bit straw manny, though, wouldn't you say?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know that it's straw manny so much as maybe it oversimplifies.
0: Well, I guess to me, like I think in as much as LCI is concerned, we don't support any party whatsoever, but an analysis of the platform itself. I would suggest potentially the following: that, relatively speaking, we could say abortion is not the purview of the federal government, or at least it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So, for it to be in a national platform in a particular way, why would they want to advocate for some type of extra-constitutional work to be done by the federal government regarding abortion itself? Right. And so that would, to me, I think, like, okay, well in a sense, that neutrality is saying like, okay, as a national platform, we're not going to deal with it. I guess that doesn't seem to me to be as bad as say the Republicans, which claim to be pro-life, yet are hi- hypocritical on this the entire time.
1: Right, yeah.
0: So- Yeah, <laughs> I
1: mean, you can take neutrality or you can take hypocrisy. Yeah. You? <laughs> I actually think, and I put this in the book, that pro-choice and pro-life libertarians have way more in common than some people might initially believe, Right.
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. In many respects, we'd say there's more in common between those two groups than, say, the pro-life libertarian and the pro-life conservative. Exactly.
1: Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And again,
0: that's, you know, for what it's worth, that's another kind of reason the platform thing doesn't bother me as much. Well, whatever. (laughs) if I have
1: my way, I would like to see the party platform actually indicate that we have common ground. Right. We can acknowledge the disagreement, but we can also acknowledge the common ground. Not only do we not think it should be a federal issue, we don't think tax dollars should go to it. So no subsidies for Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood. We don't believe that the market should be regulated. So we shouldn't be controlling crisis pregnancy centers. There's a number of things that we have common ground on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that makes total sense. And in as much as that's concerned, yeah, 100% on board. Mm -hmm. But anyway, let's, going back to the sort of the pro-life libertarian argument, you know, itself. Yeah. We fundamentally go with the non-aggression principle and just extend that to say like, look, there is no difference between a human that is outside of the womb compared to the one that is in.
1: Right. I mean,
0: that's kind of the basic principle, right? And the reason why anybody would go against that is they have have to come up with some sort of additional extraneous definition in order to justify the desire to abort. Yeah. Is that kind of fair to say?
1: Yeah, so my argument is that a fetus is a self-owner from the moment conception is complete and by virtue of being a self-owner has rights, has negative rights at least. So since the fetus has negative rights, then you cannot initiate aggression against it. And that's where the the NAP comes in, the non-aggression principle. And so of course, abortion would be an action of aggression because it's taking the life of the fetus. So that's the fundamental pro-life argument. Fetus is a self-owner, therefore has negative rights. Mom can't initiate violence against it.
0: And so this gets kind of uh, messed up along the lines of a variety of different things in order to try and justify actions. Mm -hmm. One of them that we talk about in the book a little bit is that of, well, what about personhood? Oh, yes. (laughs) And... We could say, well, you know, I'm not as concerned about it being, you know, whether or not it's defined as a human, but, but what I really care about is we can't be killing a person. Right. So, we, what we really need to do is figure out when, it, when it's a person. Yeah. What, what about that?
1: So, this was actually an argument on the pro-choice side first. A philosopher by the name of Marianne Warren suggested that it doesn't matter if the fetus is a human or not what matters is that the fetus is a person or not. So she offered a number of characteristics of personhood, including sentience, moral agency, and a number of other things that I can't remember off the top of my head. But interestingly enough, it's things that we might associate more with an adult human than even just a born human. But that's where the personhood argument came from was from the pro-choice side. They tried to argue this isn't a person. If this isn't a person, then I think they were trying to say, according to the 14th Amendment, they can't have rights because they're not a quote-unquote person. And so the pro-life side came along and said, well, if that's your argument, then we just need to write a law that says that personhood starts at conception. And so now you have pro-lifers who are advocating for personhood laws. And That's something I warn against because we don't need the government defining when personhood begins. I mean, quite frankly, we already tried that. It was just in the form of slavery and, you know, African-Americans being considered three-quarters persons. So, like, we've done that. (laughs)
0: So many good things result from people just saying, well, the government just needs to write a law. Mm -hmm. That just seems like it's a great approach. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: you know, and then the flip side of that is that a lot of conventional pro-lifers really do believe that all we have to do to end abortion is write a law. Like, you know, now we have heartbeat bills and things like that. So or pain bills, you know. You can't have an abortion when the the fetus can feel pain. It's like just
0: create different technical obstacles to it rather than you know right. deal with real issues, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah it's really awkward <laughs> to even consider the implications of what happens when you start giving the government power such as this down the line. right. It seems like there's a lot of negative repercussions or secondary effects that people would they won't anticipate them, but they're gonna happen
1: right, yeah,
0: so moving from there to you know, what about the way that a lot of Christians and, you know, both of us come from theologically conservative backgrounds, you know, in the conservative wings of the church, per se. Mm -hmm. So we've been around those pro-life arguments for eons, it feels. Yeah. What have you learned that helps in kind of combating, maybe not necessarily combating is the right word, but perhaps engaging better with these pro-life Christians who, They feel like they want to do some good, Mm -hmm. but they don't really see how to do so other than through the political process.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good question. You know, one of my first podcast episodes that I did, or actually the first one that I did on (laughs) abortion, was a constructive criticism of the pro-life movement. And I used a study from the University of Maryland. A woman had been studying the pro-life movement, just how it worked and what did work and what didn't work. And one of the things that she noted was that you've got these four or five different streams, I think she called it, of activism. And they're all disjointed, right? But only one of those streams is the political stream. So at any rate, you have these conservative Christians who participate on a political level. And now it's not just the conventional pro-lifers who are trying to criminalize abortion. You also have some Christians who have flipped and have gone to the other side, you know, arguing for the safe, legal, and rare argument that Hillary Clinton popularized way back yeah. in the 1990s. And so they're taking that route. They're saying, no, we need to keep it legal so that we can help these women. You know, they want to take a more compassionate approach. So that's more of the Christian feminist strategy now. And it's not even strictly Christian feminist. I mean, that's also a disjointed argument as well because there's an ethicist, and I forget her name, but she argues that a woman actually has a God-given right to abort. She's actually got a God-given right to determine who comes into the world. And so that's an entire spectrum of itself. But, you know, so you have all these different theologically-based arguments for what we should do about abortion politically but nobody's really paying attention to what actually is effective in reality. And I think that's where the libertarian argument comes in because libertarians have been studying and talking about, you know, the effectiveness or lack thereof when it comes to government policy on on a variety of issues. My take on it was, well, let's apply some of this wisdom to the abortion argument and see what happens. But a lot of... There's a lot of conservatives, some conservatives are really appreciative, I think, of sort of the new strategy, if you will. But there's a lot of them who get upset because, you know, I'm not out there with my fist shaking in the air, being all morally outraged and, you know, demanding that, that we, you know, overturn Roe tomorrow, right? So yeah. lots of mixed emotions, lots of high-strung emotions, that sort of thing.
0: So let's get into some of that strategy then. Mm-hmm. We know the position on abortion that we're trying to set. And we know what's not working. What is your suggestion for how proceeding you know, should look Yeah, going forward from here?
1: Well, my strategy is much more praxeological. It's asking the question, why does a woman go seek an abortion to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. What's incentivizing her to that? And there's a number of reasons, and we can actually we've got data that actually tells us why women seek abortions. And the strategy involved here from the libertarian perspective is rather than using the strong arm of law to try to shut down and end the practice of abortion, which I'll come back to in a minute, but rather than trying to use the law to end the action taken to abort, we want to leverage the market. We want to leverage all these wonderful things that we have in the market, you know, such as innovation, competition, being able to actually provide more life affirming options for women rather than just, you know, a few handful of options. And that can be a range of any number of things. Like usually when we think of options we're thinking in the absolute immediate sense of the term like adoption. Right. Adoption Mm -hmm. is an option. But really, what we need to be thinking about and what the woman is thinking about is what's it going to be like to be a single mom? Right. Yeah. Because she needs much more than just one way out. Right. It's like (laughs) we're very, we're very Bernie Sanders when it comes to our alternatives to abortion. Right. Just one or two options. That's all you need. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So. So as far as strategy is concerned, I think the strategy should be the same, whether abortion is legal or illegal, which is we use the market to leverage our options, right? We use the market to innovate, to compete, right? Try to actually drive Planned Parenthood out of business. We have more CPCs, crisis pregnancy centers in America than we do abortion clinics in America and abortion clinics are the ones being subsidized. So there's no reason in the world why we can't actually just put the abortion industry out of business. And so that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) So that's the strategy that I take. It's much more economic, praxeological. It doesn't mean that I don't think that abortion should not be illegal, right? I'm not taking the keep it safe, legal and rare tact. In fact, My argument is, is in those states where we do have more restrictions, like Texas just made more restrictions. I think Georgia has more restrictions. Alabama has more restrictions. Those are the states where we need to be focusing on getting those economies open and freer and unregulated so that we can actually act upon this strategy.
0: So it's almost as though the more uncivilized your civilization becomes, the more probable it is that people are going to seek out these non-life-affirming situations or decisions and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that that's demonstrable across the board. I mean, there's a connection between poverty and murder. There's a connection between poverty and theft. There's a connection between, you know, social breakdown and all sorts of crimes. You know, and it's also interesting to note that those countries where women are most economically free are the most prosperous and the most civil. So economic freedom is incredibly important to women and not just in the sense of, you know, giving them reproductive rights in a broad sense, right? But letting them make these choices about their own life, because every single choice a woman makes is going to affect whether or not she wants to have children or not, or how she's going to be able to raise those children. And I think one thing that the data does point to is that when a woman has her most basic needs met, she's more likely to keep her baby.
0: So you're saying there's almost a win-win scenario between, say, making peace and prosperity a better and more viable part of our own society and reducing abortion?
1: Yes, Actually, and here's the thing, here's the thing, because you have a specialization of labor here. Pro-choicers are motivated to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Pro-lifers are motivated to find life-affirming alternatives when unwanted pregnancies occur. We need both. We need methods that prevent unwanted pregnancies. We just don't want to include abortion in that category, right? But we certainly do need more methods or more options when it comes to preventing unwanted pregnancies that could be anything from innovations with birth control to you know getting women into uh you know martial arts or something like that yeah. so that they know how to defend themselves <laughs> right <laughs>
0: It's like the memes are writing themselves here. It's like, so you're saying that going through the political process is not going to get me what I want?
1: Yes, it's it's not. And actually, I think going through the political process actually creates this tension between those women who are trying to prevent unwanted pregnancies and those women who are trying to find life-affirming options when unwanted pregnancies occur. There's an unnecessary tension there. Yeah. Because we need both of those strategies in the market, we just what we don't want are
0: life destructive is life options. De- yeah life destructive
1: <laughs> options where you're you know actually having to seek an abortion. You know they say abortion is supposed to be a last ditch option, but more often than not, it's presented as the first option, and we don't need a market like that that's not pro woman that's not affirming to a woman's agency. they aren't even told many times what their options are. And quite frankly, we shouldn't be at the mercy of the medical establishment to know what our options are. So again, we need a free market.
0: Well, if your mind isn't blown already, then I hope then you'll (laughs) get the book and check out the rest of that chapter and the rest of the book as well, which will give all sorts of interesting data and arguments for why a free society is definitely the best that we can do for ourselves, even as Christians in this world in terms of you know building freedom options. So Carrie, once again, thank you for joining me on this discussion. Very much appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun.
0: And if you're looking to acquire the book, it's out on Audible. And of course you can get the paperback via our website at libertarianchristians.com where we're even currently doing a promotion right now. If you send us a donation, we can send you a couple of copies. You can also get it on Amazon.com, of course, in paperback and in Kindle form. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and make sure and come back again. Check out our other conversations about the various chapters in the book and, of course, our interviews and episodes about all sorts of libertarian and Christian topics. So, this has been the Libertarian Christian Podcast. We'll see you next time.